Psalm 22 is known as the Psalm of the Cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ cries. About a thousand or so years later. Psalm 23 is known as the Psalm of the Crook. The Shepherd's Crook. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Psalm 24 is the Psalm of the Crown. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord Strong and mighty, hey? Eh? God's word's fantastic, isn't it? Conscious of him this morning. Conscious of his presence this morning with us. Psalm 22, and just for our opening reading, verse 27 and verse 28, please. Verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn on to the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nation notice the kingdom David's speaking of Israel here Israel kingdom but the kingdom that will extend throughout the world with Christ's return Uh, that is globally, if you want, and the kingdom to reign from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven is the Lord's. And notice what he says, and he, the Lord, is the governor among the nations. So we're back to earth again. When we read the word governor here, the word governor is the word mashal, mashal. And it means to rule, To reign, to have dominion, and to have power. So now we're on part four of the absolute sovereignty of God. And I hadn't this written, but jotted some things down to trigger my memory this morning. Trying to work out how, not that I'm more intelligent than anyone here, but I know it, I have it in my head, the timelines and everything but how do I get it across where people will grasp it, especially if they haven't heard this before. I have done these things in far more detail before, and you can find them online. But when we look at the absolute sovereignty of God, we looked at how God not only spoke the universe, the worlds into being, and upholds them by the word of his power, yet he knows the sparrow that drops from one branch to another. Upholds it in flight, And he knows you intimately and personally. So when we think of the sovereignty, it's not just he's great, big and almighty, which he is. He's also interested in the intricate details of his creation and of his people. He's also sovereign over the nations of the earth. Over the nations of the earth. For example, in Psalm 66 and verse 7, it says, He ruleth by his power forever he ruleth by his power forever his eyes behold the nations let not the rebellious exalt themselves the world we're living in the state of our nation the state of Ulster this morning we can get annoyed and upset about it but God has power and he is almighty still this morning And he ruleth forever. They might exalt themselves. And we see as it were what's known as the revived Roman Empire in Europe coming. But you know Europe's going to come down with a crash. Babylon is going to fall. Not only Europe but the Babylon of all the world antichrist systems. Because God is still absolutely sovereign. This morning we also want to look at. Going to bring you way back and we're going to look through time right to our present day. But what we are going to look at is, because this, while tonight there are many, I think in Londonderry, they're going to be doing their usual um, Halloween period this evening, where they uh, invite every other spirit, but the Holy Spirit into the city. And it's Halloween. I didn't say it wrong. It's Halloween. And they will be in Belfast and other places. And... This morning, we don't 
celebrate that we celebrate this morning the Reformation, uh, the birth and the, the coming forth of the Protestant Reformation. We're going to look at that this morning in a bit more detail. And the thing about it is, I'm taking my time this morning because I want you to try and get this into your spirit. I want you to see God's hand in all of it. But I wonder this morning, I'm not trying to offend anybody, I wonder where all those, and I'm going to put it in brackets, where all those Protestants are this morning. Are they in their bed? Think about it. You see, when we say the Protestant Reformation, we're talking about biblical Protestantism. Where revelation was brought to men of, who were seeking truth in God's word and that just shall live by faith, not in the Romish works and so on. I'm going to look at that this morning, God willing. I could stand here this morning and tell you about all the different reformers in their lives. Look, and that's fine and that's fitting. That's okay. But I want to keep it centralized on the Lord, on him. We don't worship the reformers, but we are grateful for their stance and what they've done. And God had moved in his spirit sovereignly the time of the Reformation. So it's going to take a while to get there this morning. Let's just move on. Isaiah 40 and verse 10. We're still in our, our opening of this message this morning, our introduction. Isaiah 40 and verse 10 says, Behold, when you see behold, take note of it. Prick up your ears and, and listen hard. It means, looky here, it means catch this. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Now, when we read Psalm 66 and verse 7, he ruteth by his power. And now in Isaiah 40 and verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. The word for rule there in both occasions is the exact same word for governor in Psalm 22 and verse 28. In other words, the Lord is the governor with his power. He rules, he reigns, and he has dominion. And Isaiah says, the Lord God will come with a strong arm and shall rule. His strong arm shall be the governor. Strong arm, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. He is the governor of the nations. Now, when you think of someone in their strong arm, it, God doesn't ha- really have an arm. He's a spirit. But he's given it to us that we might understand in our capabilities of our finite minds that we might be able to relate to arms and so on. The strong arm, if you can imagine, he puts his arm in. The Lord Jesus Christ, here he is into our affairs, into our nations. He comes as a baby and he grows as a man and he dies in Calvary for us. He comes and he puts, as it were, his arm in, in the person of his son. And that son is in heaven. He is our only priest, the great high priest. And he will come again and he will have dominion. He will bear rule over all the nations when he comes again. So you can see Isaiah looking forward to the coming of the Lord. Notice, behold, his reward is with him. And his work before him. So you might say, but how do you know that this is Jesus? Well, listen to the words of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 22. Your last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. He says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be. Notice My reward is with me. Isaiah says he will come and behold his reward is with him. Jesus then tells us that's me. My reward is with me. So I don't think we can argue too much about this this morning. Notice again in Isaiah 40 please. Verse 15. Behold the nations are as a drop of a bucket. You see the sovereignty of God. 
and are counted as small dust of the balance, behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. You know, when we pray, say from Matthew 6 and, and verse 10, thy kingdom come, praying that the second coming of the Lord would come. You know, we understand that in spirit, the kingdom is with us, in spirit. But this is in fullness when Christ will come. We are kingdom people. We have the Holy Spirit. We have been redeemed by the blood, but in fullness that the kingdom will come when Christ comes and when Christ vanquishes all of his enemies. Turn with me briefly to Daniel chapter 7. We will, God willing, visit this chapter again. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, please. And we will visit, as I said, this chapter, God willing, time willing, again. Just let your eye run down to verse 13. Daniel says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and caught up to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, Daniel is writing this around 600 plus years before the coming of Christ the first time. Notice what it says then in the next verse, verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Here, Daniel sees the Lord Jesus coming to set up his dominion and his kingdom even before his first coming to redeem us as the Lamb of God through his blood. So we can see the sovereignty of God and we'll not turn to it now, but in Revelation chapter 19, if you're taking notes, we see the future coming of Christ as the word of God written on his thigh. We see him coming pictured on a white charger, the horse that he's coming with the with all the armies of heaven. And we see him coming to set up his kingdom in Revelation 19. Puritan Christopher Ness said these words, God is the cause of causes. God is the cause of causes. Let's not forget, brothers and sisters, that God is the cause of causes. That God is absolutely sovereign. And that God isn't sovereign when you and I decide that he's sovereign. God's sovereign all the time, full stop. So we're going to go back a little bit in history. But first of all, we're going forward to go back in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. This is... Yahweh speaking to Abraham, Abram, Abraham. I have made thee. Notice, he hasn't even had children. I have made thee. In other words, it was already done in the eyes of the Lord, and he's already in our future. Do you see the things you worry about and the things you and I stress over? God's already in our future. He's already in your tomorrow. He's already in your next week. He's already in your next appointment. He's already there waiting. He's actually waiting for you and I to catch up, as it were. I have made thee, as though present tense, a father of many nations. And if you wonder where that is, jot it down. It's Genesis 17 and verse 5. And then, of course, Ishmael is born to Hagar. And Abraham had jumped the gun, if you want, one for another way to put it and then Isaac is born Isaac is born to Sarah in Genesis 21 and verse 12 Genesis 21 verse 12 the Lord says in Isaac shall thy seed be called so here God is choosing his election Abraham then Isaac not in Ishmael Ishmael becomes the father of the Arabs And in fact, there's Hebrew blood in Ishmael because he's Abraham's son. The Arabs have Hebrew blood in them. Did you know that? 
because they are from Abraham. Notice this. And if you want to jot it down, Romans 9 and 7, Hebrews 11 and 18 will mention this also again. But in Romans 4 and 17, notice he also goes on to say, before whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, notice, and calleth those things which be as though they were. I have made thee a father of many nations. Hasn't happened. We're a long time away from it. Abraham didn't even see it happen. But we're here this morning. Remember we used to teach the kids that we song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them and so you. So let's all praise the Lord. Who remembers that wee course? Yeah, quite a number. And if we look at this this morning, he says that God calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's sovereignty. He says it and it happens. Puritan Richard Sibes said this, God's truth always agrees with itself. God's truth always agrees with itself. So what we want to look at this morning is how Scripture interprets Scripture. A lot of people try and think of something fanciful to put in to their prophecy. Well, this is this one. You know, we have heard of whether it was Barack Obama and then it became Trump and I don't know who else is thrown into the whole mix. Oh, here's the Antichrist. No, listen. Listen, that's another study for another time. But listen, people try and fit it in to make it sound good. Stir it up, and especially to sell books. <laughs> Helps them sell their books. Antichrist is a spirit. And in John's day, he says, now there are many Antichrists. And the Antichrist is set in Rome. Sits in Rome from the spirit of Antichrist through. Islam is another. Judaism is another. They all deny those last two. Deny the deity of Christ. And the other one is in the place of Christ. Anti doesn't always mean in up, uh, opposing or opposition to. It means in the place of also. Stay with me then. Thomas Watson I love this. He said, Scripture is to be its own interpreter, or rather the Spirit speaking in it. Nothing can cut the diamond but the diamond. Nothing can interpret Scripture but Scripture. So we're going to look at it this morning. First Kings chapter 11. Now we're on our, our big trail. We're on our big adventure this morning. First Kings chapter 11. Some of these things, I would ask you, I, I, I would... Please jot these down, read them in your own time and study this because I'm going to have to basically tell you for time's sake what this chapter is, what is happening and lift out a verse or two because we just we need weeks at this. First Kings chapter 11, look at verse 1. But Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and the Hittites. So Solomon starts loving all these non-Israelite women. And because he starts loving them, he starts loving their gods too. Starts loving their gods too. And so when we go into this chapter, let your eye please just run down for time's sake. Verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but... He kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely, take note of this word, rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notice to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it, for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all of the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David for my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. The Lord says, Solomon, 
You've done wrong, but because of your father, David, as the king, now you're the king. You've worshipped other gods. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. But because of your father, not from you personally, it's going to come when your son comes on the throne. And I'm going to give it to your servant from your son. Okay. So, letter I run down, please. The same chapter. And go to verse 9 for me, please. Or pardon me, verse 28 for me. Here is his, his servant is called Jeroboam. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. Now, that is over the northern territory of Israel, really. That's what that means in a nutshell. Verse 29, and it came to pass that at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment. And they two were alone in the field, and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give thee ten tribes. Give ten tribes to thee, but he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Jeroboam was out for his walk with his new coat on. Now you can imagine having your new coat on, brother, sister, your, your lovely new jacket, you know. And this prophet Ahijah comes up to Jeroboam, rips the coat off him and turns it into 12 pieces. You wouldn't be too happy at that, sure you wouldn't turns it into 12 pieces, and he counts 10 off the pieces. And he says, you take those 10, Jeroboam. Because God said to Solomon, when his son was on the throne, he would rend the kingdom. And these two pieces, one for the house of David or the tribe of Judah, and this one here will be to stay with him as a light before him. We find out later this becomes, you can read it on later, this becomes the tribe of Benjamin that stays with him. So these ten tribes are for you, Jeroboam, and these two are for Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Chapter 12, please. Chapter 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. That's Solomon's son. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. That they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. So this young man with these ten pieces of garment, Jeroboam, now comes to Jerusalem to Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, whom the kingdom's been rent from, and he gives and he, he says, Those two pieces are for you. But when you read this chapter, which I haven't time to do, the people of the northern territory of Israel are saying, Look, Will you take it easy? I'm going to paraphrase it. Will you take it easy for our tax purposes? You're taxing us too much. We're working in slave and we're paying a lot in taxes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? What do you, why do you think all your petrol prices have went up? It's to pay for all the stuff that they were doing the last two years. Do you know where you got the hundred pound from Stormont? <laughs> you know where it's free? Yeah, right, it's free. <laughs> Do you know why we're getting 20 billion here and there and everywhere? Well, you know why it's free? Yeah, watch your children and your grandchildren. It's not free. They'll tax us. They'll control us with it. Anyhow, I'll have to get on. And they say, take it easy. But So Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he goes and he speaks to the older men. The older men basically say, take it easy on them. He goes to the younger man, the younger man, you know, full of fight, older men with the wisdom, younger men full of fight and vigor say, just get into them, you know, (laughs) let harder on them. And he takes the advice of the younger men and suddenly Jeroboam says, let's go north, paraphrasing, and breaks from the southern kingdom. There is the break in the kingdom of Israel. Do you know what Jeroboam's name means? The people will contend. Jeroboam who came down and broke away means the people will contend. How intricate are the details of the Lord? Think about this. 
God even knew this man. He knew the name of this man. He knew who he would be and what would happen all before it happened. And this man's name means the people will contend. And they did. And they broke away from the rest of Israel. We have a couple of wee uh, PowerPoints coming. Maybe look at the first one. And I don't want to spend too long on these guys because uh, I want to move on. Just to give you something in your mind that you'll see it. The first one is when they were all together in the land. So we are used to seeing something like that. That's the way they were, something like that. Then when the split came, if you can go to the next one, it ended like that. You'll see the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. And so when we look at this, all of this was fulfilled. And from now on, from this time on that we're reading, from now on, they're known as two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. They're known as two capital cities, Jerusalem and Judah, the house of Judah at the the bottom, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel was Samaria. So when you read the prophecies of Samaria and God speaks against Samaria, it's because they, they had... From Jeroboam, wicked kings. Ahaz was in Samaria with Jezebel in Samaria. They had wicked kings. Every one of them who sat on the throne of Samaria was wicked before the Lord. Every one of them. And there were some wicked and mixed bunch down in Jerusalem from David's line. So notice two kings. They become known in scripture as Two, two lines of kings, two cities. They become known as two kingdoms. They become known as two nations. They become known in Ezekiel 23, you can read it when you go home, as two daughters of one mother. Two daughters, uh, they call them Ahala and Ahaliba. Ahala and Ahaliba. Ahala means she has her own tent. And that was Samaria. God says Ahala. It's Samaria. She has her own tent. Why? Because they were idolatrous and brought every god in. Israel were married unto the Lord. Brought every god in. So the Lord says, she is adulterous to me. She has her own tent. A holiba was Jerusalem, and it means my tent is in her. Of course, the tabernacle, or I should say the temple, was in Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 23. Okay, they become known as two sticks, Chapter 37 of Ezekiel, the two houses, the two sticks will be one, but they're only one in Christ, in the hand of the Lord. And of course, this new covenant was made with the Lord for the houses of Israel. For example, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, if you want to turn. Jeremiah 31 Verse 31, behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Notice, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's these two kingdoms. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband. Notice, I was an husband unto them. God divorces the northern kingdom. For through Isaiah, he says, where is the bill of your mother's divorce? And he says, I have divorced them. This is their marital home and God carried them over in the Canaan land, their marital home. Now the separation, now the northern kingdom is adulterous and God kicks the northern kingdom out. They're taken away captive out of the marital home. But Judah, the southern kingdom, he never divorced. He never divorced. Verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, but this shall be the covenant that I will make With the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, that is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 reading on. And you can read that, that this is the covenant that God made. What is that covenant? We broke bread this morning. In the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks... He break it and said, take it, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the same manner, he also took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Notice the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. The death of Christ is this covenant. Where is God's law written this morning? On our hearts. God's law is written in our hearts. God's word 
is in our hearts and in our minds. This is the covenant he made with us. And take note, brothers and sisters, this might help you. I've done four nights of study a year, a couple of years ago, and I called it New Old Testament Keys to New Testament Parables. So when you read of two sons, the prodigal son and the older brother, the prodigal son, we know the backslider, and that's fine, we can do a message with that. That's the surface teaching. The time of Christ, he's looking at this. The surface teaching, Christ is speaking to those of the house of Judah, or the, those, the remnant that were there, the Jews that were there. When Christ is speaking to them, what does he say? He tells a parable of a man who had two sons. That's speaking of his father, Christ's father, our God. And he says, one goes into the far country, remember, takes his money, spends it in radish living. This is the northern kingdom that is cast away and goes through the nations and lose their identity. They lose their name. They lose themselves, but God doesn't lose them. And when he is at the pig pen, in other words, in all these other sort of Gentile ways and all of these heathen practices, and they become all sorts of known under different names. When they're there, what happens? The gospel goes forth. They hear the word of God and they return to the Father. It's you and I. It's you and I. The older brother says, Ah, you didn't kill the calf and my ring and all. There's no party for me. And the Lord says, but you've had all of this all these years. He's speaking to the Jews there. And listen to what he says. He then goes on to say that, not in that parable, but again, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, an ethnos, those of like seed. And that was those who were accepting the gospel, who were scattered. Brothers and sisters, God's hand was in it all. For example, let me tell you about the two sons, that, uh, and it says in Matthew 21 and verse 28, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Verse 29, and he answered, I will not. Notice the first son says, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went Verse 30, and he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered, I will go. And he went not. So Christ is talking to those of, of jury, J-E-W-R-Y. And he's saying, you're like the son who says, I'm going to serve you, and you didn't. And he's talking to those who, he says, there's those, that son who says, I won't, and they repent. And they do. That's us. Serving the Lord. You need to stay with me because I know maybe some of you have never heard this before. These are the, this is the meat teaching of kingdom parables. So, when we think of, for example, the northern kingdom, you have Elijah was to this northern kingdom. Elijah wasn't to the southern kingdom and Jerusalem was to the northern kingdom. That's why it's Elijah and Ahab and all those stories. Elisha was the same to the northern. Amos was to the northern. Hosea was to the northern. Wasn't to the southern. So you need to know your prophets and the timelines with the kings and the kingdoms. And all of those prophets were to the northern kingdom. And God had ordained it so to be like this. And sort of to the, to the south you did have Isaiah came along and Jeremiah especially. Then when the southern kingdom falls into sin and is taken into Babylon, we have Daniel, which we have read from earlier. We have Ezekiel that's there. We have Jeremiah, the prophesied before they went in. And of course, he goes into Egypt with the king Zedekiah's daughters. That's another story. You might say, why are you telling us all of this? Do you know, in 1 Kings chapter 16, and verse 6, is the first mention of the word Jews. In all the Bible, you think of all those books. Abraham wasn't a Jew. People say Abraham the Jew. He was not a Jew. There wasn't a Jew in sight. There was never one even on the earth at that time. Abraham was a Hebrew. Isaac wasn't a Jew, nor were they Israelites. There were none. Jacob wasn't a Jew. He became an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. And then the 12 sons, one called Judah, is where we get the name Jew from. 
So when you hear these big prophecy preachers, Abraham the Jew, you can go, show me that in scripture, would you? He's called Abraham the Hebrew. And the first time you read in the scriptures of the word Jews, plural, J-E-W-S, you will find the first Kings 16 and 6. And do you know what they're doing? You ready for this? They're fighting Israelites. The Israelites and the Syrians above the house of Israel, the Israelites and King Rezin from uh, Syria joined with the kings of the northern kingdom and they came down to try and take Jerusalem. Did you just know that? Check me out on it. It's the first time it's mentioned. And the singular Yehudi and Yehuda is the name. The singular is first mentioned in the book of Esther when they're all away into Babylon from the southern kingdom. Esther's there with Mordecai and so forth. I think I've shocked a few of you, have I? You didn't know that. You can check me up on it. Go to your concordance. They're fighting with Israel. Let's go to Hosea, please. I'll tell you what. Don't, we'll go to Daniel for a speedy, uh, we'll flick through a couple of things. And I'm going to just tell you these uh, briefly. And you can go, I've done four PowerPoint messages on them a few years back. They're online on our website. You can go and look at them. So the northern kingdom is taken away. Guys, show us the next photograph, please. There we go. That's everyone. Judah is still left. Now remember, that northern kingdom never returns. So that's who Jesus is speaking of. And he's now speaking to a remnant who's come back from Babylon. Go to the next slide. So Israel, the northern kingdom. We've maybe missed one, have we? Sorry, keep it there. That's fine. That's fine. That's all right. That's okay. Put it back to the other one, the the man. So in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the house of Judah are now in Babylon captive. They're in Babylon captive. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar says he had a dream. And he wanted his soothsayers and his, if you want, wizards to come in and tell him, tell me the dream and the interpretation. Now, they couldn't do that. Their lives were in danger and they thought of Daniel. Daniel, he seeks God's face. And after he sought the Lord, he comes back, he says, this is the dream that you had, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm just going to lift a few verses just so that when we read this, you can get an idea of what is happening. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, please. And thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold. See the gold? Was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly of thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, and part of clay. Notice what he says. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a mountain and filled the whole earth. The stone smashes the image at its feet. The brass, the gold, or pardon me, the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron is all smashed when the stone hits it. And this is tremendous because Nebuchadnezzar is going, what does this mean? And so Daniel reading on says, this is the interpretation thereof. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, the king in Babylon, thou art this head of gold. And then he speaks of another kingdom which is to come, which is the silver kingdom thinking later in time, and that's the Medes and the Persians. Notice two arms. God's word is so intricate and correct, and God is absolutely sovereign in these things. He's telling of the kingdom that will come. Two arms, the Medes and the Persians. Then it goes the brass. That's Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. And then it goes in the iron. That's the pagan Roman Empire under which Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. All these years ahead, it hasn't even happened yet. The absolute sovereignty of God. And then the feet, part iron, part clay, they become known as 
there's ten little kingdoms around Rome. And when a deadly beast wound, the wounds, pardon me, the beast's deadly wound, which died was the pagan Roman Empire dying. Not some big beast coming in this future. The pagan Roman Empire died and it revived again. How did it revive? Through the papal Roman Empire. It was the papacy that rose up. And there were 10 kingdoms that took up most of what we call Europe today. Most of Europe today. And so that is where we have the European Union down through the years throughout these kingdoms. The stone kingdom that smashed the image, filled the whole earth, is the coming of Christ. Is the coming of Christ. Christ is going to smash Babylon. Christ is going to smash the wickedness of Babylon. I could take into Revelation chapter 16 into 17. Speaks of Babylon economic, the world system we see today, the world economics. We could take into Babylon spiritual, the, the new world order through the papacy gathering all these religions in together. We take you then in, into uh, the political system Babylon's political system, they're ruling you today. They're, they're governing over you today and they're telling us when we can get in and when we can get out and what we can do and what we can't. And Christ is the stone kingdom. Notice it's not a brick where man has made it. It's cut out without hands. In other words, this stone kingdom is made of God and it says it will never end. Christ is coming, brothers and sisters. Can I hear an amen? He's all with us then. He's still awake. Christ is coming. I preached this in Porter Downtown Hall in the big town hall over two nights. The place was filled. Margaret got saved the first time. The first night, Margaret? Two years ago, she got saved the first night. Okay. Will you go to the next slide, guys, please? So see here, I don't know if you can see it or not. In Daniel chapter 7, if you'll flick over, remember we read from it earlier on. Daniel has a dream. Imagine, so God gives Daniel the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel has a dream. And this dream of Nebuchadnezzar's is different than Daniel's, but they mean the same thing. Why? Because man sees himself as glorious, doesn't he? Man's pride and depravity sees himself as gold and silver and bronze and iron. And, but God sees them as beasts. Do you see what's happening today? And they think with all these lobbyist groups that they're all being lovey-dovey and nice and everybody love, them, love themselves and follow your own heart and be your own God and everybody allowed to just live how you want and do what you like. And, you know, we are acceptable of all sorts of sin and debauchery. Do you see all of that? And the world system thinks, isn't it lovely? Isn't it great? God doesn't see it like that. God sees it as beastly. God sees it as beastly. Daniel 7, please. I'm just going to have to jump here. Verse, he sees four beasts. Verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Notice here, the first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. You know, the lion, if you read uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 7, Babylon, the kingdom where Nebuchadnezzar is in and Daniel's here, Babylon is mentioned by the Lord and likened as a lion. Okay? Head of gold is Babylon. Now the lion is Babylon. My goodness, look at the time. It's nearly gone. I haven't got to the Reformation yet. <laughs> what happened? Oh, here, maybe, did I put my watch back? <laughs> so, we find this, uh, and, and the, the eagle's wings in, in Ezekiel 7. Also, it is likened as an eagle that crops off the tender twigs. And that is Babylon taking away the royalty of Judah. So the lion is Babylon. Secondly, in verse 5, there's a, a bear there. Behold, another beast, the second like to a bear, and it raised its, up, up itself on one side and had three ribs in its mouth. So there's this bear, and it's lopsided like this, and has three ribs in its mouth. What does that mean? That's the next kingdom to come, Medo-Persia. The two arms. That's a coalition government. And it doesn't really work because one ends up getting higher than the other. Maybe Ulster needs to think about that next time they look at Stormont. 
Isn't that true, bud? It shows you. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian come in and one ends up taking over the other, more prevalent. But notice here, it has, it's lopsided because of that and has three ribs in its mouth. They lifted three provinces, Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon when they came in. They took, they took Babylon, then they went to Egypt, then they went to Lydia. That was the three ribs in its mouth. And then we have in verse 6, a leopard with four wings and four heads. The four wings, four is a universal number for the four, as they say, corners of the earth. The four seasons that we have in life. And these four wings, actually four points of the compass, north, south, east and west. These four wings actually point to four provinces. When Alexander the Great, remember the brass, it represents the brass, the leopard with the four heads. Alexander the Great's the brass. And when his, his empire went right over to India, and when he died, four generals came out, and they split the kingdom between themselves. So the four provinces are the four wings. The four heads are the four generals. Cassander, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, Said Cassandra, didn't it? Um, there was four generals. Let me see if I can find them. Yes, Seleucus, that's it. The Seleucid Empire. Ptolemy, the Ptolemaic Empire came down into Palestine then. And hence we have Greek, New Testament in Greek. See how God's fitting all this in? Number four is an indescribable beast. Verse 8. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up another, came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his, this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth speaking great things. You know what this is? This is the iron legs of pagan Rome. It dies, and papal Rome is the little horn that comes up. Papal Rome comes up. It's the two heads we spoke of, one dying, the beast, and the rising up again. God's telling this because he's sovereign before it happens, hundreds of years before it happens. The reformers looked back in time and they seen this and they were able to identify this through history. See, history is prophecy foretold and prophecy is history fulfilled. Can you give me another five or ten minutes? Is that all right? I know we're running late. Is that Okay. I have done more in-depth than these things. This is just an overview. Hosea chapter 6, please. It's after Daniel, the book of Daniel. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. Let me get a drink. Verse 2, after two days, underline that, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his goings forth are prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Now, we see God here, first of all, as the Father smiting. God tears and smites. We see him as the Son uniting and always reconciled to God in Christ. We see him healing and binding up. And we see the spirit igniting and baptizing when he revives us, raises us up, and he comes as the former and the latter reign. Okay? So we see God at work here. Notice verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now, if you're taking notes, take note. Remember the kingdom was gone. We had another little PowerPoint, guys. You know if we have another one there, have we? No. That's not it. On again. On again. That one. So they migrate. The gospel comes at the time of Christ. But when they are, you've seen them, they're taken captive up around by the Caspian Sea, cross where Arsareth, Romania and all up there, um, Ukraine and so forth out to the west. Now take note of this. Take note of this. 
the last deportation. Can you just go back to the one just where they're taken out of there? On back. On back. On back. Keep going. Oh. The last deportation. So Assyria comes and deports them, cap- carries them captive over a period of a lot of years. The last deportation of the house of Israel in the northern kingdom was in 676 BC. Now, 676 BC, after two days, if he's going to revive Israel, because Hosea, remember I said, or to what kingdom? The northern, not to the south, to the north. And if you read about the children, God's liking himself to Gomer. Gomer goes to marry a woman of whoredoms, who likens the woman of whoredoms to Israel, the northern kingdom. They marry, and she leaves him, and he Redeems her back from the slave market again. Hosea does. Pardon me, Hosea. Gomer's one of the children, pardon me. And he redeems her back. So when they leave, uh, 676 is the last deportation, and except for some of the remnant that have escaped. We find that from 676, if he's reviving us in two days, Peter tells us that day is with the Lord as a one. A thousand years. Moses in Psalm 90 says that a, that a thousand years has but yesterday in thy sight. So one day is a thousand years. Two days are, what is it? Simple, isn't it? Two thousand years. 676 from their last deportation. Take away two thousand years. And it brings us up to a very important date. It brings us up to the birth date of John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation. 1324 A.D. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was an accident? Notice this. John Wycliffe John Wycliffe had what was known as law lords. He, he taught them in England that from the poorest people to be able to read the Bible he translated. I'll tell you why. There was no Bible. It was written in Latin and chained to the pulpit by Rome. They were forbidden to read the Bible or they would be damned if they read the Bible. It was chained to the pulpit, written in Latin. So the, 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 the ordinary plowman, as it were, and he mentions the plowman, he wanted every plowman to be able to read the Bible. And the ordinary plowboy couldn't read it, even if he was given it. And they weren't allowed to take it. It wasn't in their home, it wasn't in their hands, so it couldn't be in their hearts. And they had to go by what Rome had taught them, what the priest said about them, and indulgences and transubstantiation and all of these things. And so what he does is he, he interprets the Bible that it's in the English Bible it's called. And when he interprets it, people can read it. Pardon me, Tyndale's is the English Bible. He interprets it so people can read it. Now take note of this. In 1453, the Greeks flew. Their flight went westward into Europe because of war and they're, 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 they're being taken over by uh, the as, as Islam. I take note, in 1454, the invention of printing was in Holland and Germany then. So the Greek language was coming west. Israel went west. So the Greek language is coming west. In 1458, Greek language was first taught in European universities. In 1476, Caxton introduces printing into England. They weren't, didn't have to meticulously write it slowly by hand. In 1516, Erasmus printed his Greek New Testament. In 1518, Zwingli printed the first Swiss New Testament. 1522, Luther's New Testament was in German. 1526, Tyndale's English New Testament and the Swedish Bible was printed. In 1537, the Bible was printed into Danish. 1539, the great Bible was placed in every church by royal command. 1611, the King James authorized Bible, the book that changed the world, was printed. You tell me that's an accident. Exactly that on the date from 
John Wycliffe is born. After two days, he will revive us again. After two days, he'll raise us up. How are you going to do that, Lord? Well, my son's going to die for you. And at the right time after the two days, I'm sending my spirit into men and they're going to change from... They were Roman Catholic. The early ones were Roman Catholic priests, monks. They're going to come from there. They'll be converted. And they'll bind us up again. This is the absolute sovereignty of God among the nations. So we'll finish with this. In 1372, we had John Huss in Bohemia, uh, Prague, and then we had Jerome of Prague, all of these men being raised up. We had uh, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther actually came on the scene 102 years after uh, John Huss's death. Do you know what Huss means? His name, Goose. Seeing the Renaissance and the sort of the paintings you've seen around the Reformation, there was always a wee goose in a farmyard. That was a secret code of the Reformation. It was a goose, John Huss, remember the doctrines. Because they were being slaughtered. John Huss, the goose, he prophesies. Prophecy didn't finish in the book of Acts. Prophecy started off with us in the book of Acts. And notice this. He prophesied at his death being burnt at the stake. After 100 years they will hear a swan sing and him they will have to endure. And he prophesied, you know what Martin Luther's name, one of the translations is swan. 102 years exactly to the death, Martin Luther comes forth. The just shall live by faith. Nailing 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral in Germany on the 31st of October, 1517. You tell me that that's all. It's by chance. In Revelation 10, we have a little book open. You can read it yourself. Great angel with a foot on the land and a foot on the sea. Pointing to heaven with a book open, a little book open in his hand. A little angel is representative of Christ and his gospel coming from heaven to earth. One land and one on the sea, traversing the nations. The little book open was the open Bible. God showed John that way before it happened. Jeremiah 16. Verse 16, the Lord says, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill out of the holes of the rock. Notice verse 17, For my eyes are upon all their ways, and they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Speaking to you about Israel being scattered, he says, I know where they are. They might be lost to them, but they're not lost to me. And I will send for fishers and hunters. What does Jesus say when you think about it like this? What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, walking along the shores of Galilee? Sees the fishermen. Fishermen, follow me, and I will make you to become. What is it? Fishers of men. Why did he say that? Because they were fishermen? No! For Jeremiah 16 and 16, he says, I will send for fishers, and they'll fish them. Let the scripture interpret the scripture. What are you facing? What's your problems? What's your struggles? What's your anxieties? What's your, what's your worries? What's your doubtings of what's happening in our land? Brothers and sisters, see this book. This book is more up to date than the Belfast Telegraph. This book is more up to date than your mainstream media and your social media. This book tells it before it happens. And when it happens, it does make us soothsayers like people try to be. It tells us when it happens and we can say it and say, God said it. That settles it, so we're going to believe it. God is good. He sent forth. He sent forth the gospel. And he fished us. 
land and sea. And he hunted us down in his grace and his mercy. Would you say praise the Lord? Isn't he wonderful? Team, would you come up? We're going to sing a piece. We'll lift the offering. Thank you for your giving. Do you know what's made me a bit sad when I wrote that? I just jotted some of them things down because I, I, I know it, but I just wanted to refresh myself. I didn't leave anything out. That really should be over a lot of, a lot of, a lot of meetings, a lot of weeks. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You know what made me really sad when I was just thinking about it yesterday and writing down? Not so many weeks... Um, that's so many weeks ago, Jennifer came to me and says, would you preach that stuff again about Israel, about the coming of Christ and about our salvation? Would you preach it again? Would you teach it? Because I love it. I says, oh, well, and she never got to hear it. But you know what? She doesn't need to. <laughs> she doesn't need to. Ah, she's in the arms of Christ. She's in the presence of the king. She's missed. But I just thought about her whenever we're actually even going through that. There's an awful lot more. Maybe sometime I'll, I'll do a full series on and break it down and show you there's so much more in the Word. I could bring all these things out to like to see it. God bless us. We're going to sing.